Welcome to Sabbath School for April 25, 2020. We are in the fourth lesson now of our second quarter study about how to interpret Scripture. I don't know if you've been enjoying it, but I have been deeply blessed, richly blessed by what we've studied so far. And we're going to have another fantastic study today. But before we do that, we need to start with our mission program. And this week, we're going to be featuring all of our mission elements in Uh, featuring resources that you can have at home or at your local church that are found online that can help benefit not only a blessing to you, but your entire local church Sabbath school program whenever our local churches get rolling again. So this week, our Mission Spotlight is going to feature an interesting story about ADRA and their work in Mozambique. So check it out. This kind of project was actually created by the government because they need to scale up nutrition and there is a need in Mozambique. Right now, the chronic malnutrition rates are really soaring. They are above 40%. And this is is generally across the country, although there are certain places where it is higher. In Maputo also, they discovered that it's above 30%, which also includes districts like Bowani. So that's why we feel like it's, it's important that the students should get also part of the meal because they might not be getting enough. When we started, we had our school feeding funded by ADRA International. The other part of the donation was through the food that we are still receiving through Rise Against Hunger. Being part of this project, they receive rice The rice comes in a packet with soy and dehydrated vegetables. And inside each packet, there is a multivitamin packet within the the food that we we distribute. So every time they get a ration size, which is almost equivalent to a 700 kilocalorie in supplement to what they get from home. When we started the project, we did some anthropometry where we were weighing the height and the weight of the students and we analyzed it. And then we discovered that 50% of the students were really underweight. That was last year. And we are going to consequently uh, weigh the students. Right now we designed a cohort that we would follow up each month so that we have concrete results to see the changes that are okay. What we have noted so far has been an increase in the number of students. We started with 9,366. Right now we have 13,453 students. And last year when we ended, we had 11,656 students. Great to see what's going on outside of our local confines around the world in global mission. But now we want to focus on some of the things that are happening inside of our own territory here in the Michigan Conference. One of the things that we've been trying to do in the Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department is to gather local testimonies because it would be ideal if every local church had some sort of testimony of the corporate work that's going on, at least in their uh, home conference, if not their home church. So from our department's perspective, what we've tried to do is put together and continue to put together good testimonies of the work that's going on in the soul saving and evangelism and personal ministry work across the Michigan Conference. So here's one of the 
example of that that you can find at michigansspm.org. Since my baptism in, um, in January, um, I was, one of the gifts I was given was a discipleship handbook. And so Carol, my new sister in Christ, Carol and I have been meeting weekly and going through the handbook. My name is Carol Hildebrand. My husband and I have been in the UP for 24 years and we're members at Marquette. I remember meeting Jane for the first time at Unlock Revelation in the spring of 2016. Aaron Cruz was doing a presentation at Northern Michigan University and I remember just introducing myself to Jane and her husband and briefly meeting them there. When Jane came to us, she had really studied herself into the church. She spent a year and a half watching and re-watching the Unlock Revelation videos that Aaron Cruz had done. And she was just so excited about what she had learned and she was eager to learn more. But pretty much every point of doctrine, she had already studied out for herself. She had answered her own questions by going to God's Word and listening again and again to the series. Um, she was very interested in being baptized right away. She went to fun through Fundamentals of Faith before her baptism, which is incredibly helpful because it gives them an opportunity to ask questions, to look up more Bible references, and to find out if they have questions or if they really do believe the different points of doctrine in the Adventist Church. Pastor Aaron had given my husband and I the discipleship handbook to go through with another Bible study couple, and they weren't quite ready for it yet, and so we thought, this is perfect, this is what Jane needs. And I introduced it to her and we decided we would do it together. She's so proactive, she wanted to do it with me and I was thrilled to do it. And we started going through about once a week. Um, sometimes we would go through two because she was so eager. Every time we get together, Jane, almost every time she has to ask me, where are we again in this book? Because she's almost three quarters of the way through and we're only on chapter 11, I believe, the next time we're meeting. She's just loving learning more and, and moving ahead and nothing stops Jane. It has been such a pleasure um, to sit with her. Our meetings usually are supposed to last about an hour and sometimes they've lasted two and a half hours because we've gotten into either God's Word or just sharing what has, God has done um, in our lives in that week. I have been so blessed by the Discipleship Handbook personally. I would love for every member of the church to go through it because it reminds you of why we're Seventh-day Adventists, of what we're about, of how we work and function as an organization, but it also encourages us in those small things to be faithful to support our church families. I've recently recommended that we use this in our prayer meeting because I feel like it's such a blessing to me personally, and I think it would revive our churches. I think it would help us to be doing what we need to be doing as we're waiting for Jesus. The Discipleship Handbook is is a is a must for um, everyone who who wants to go out and be a part of this movement. Um, uh, I guess that's one of the things I really like about the church that it is it's not just a denomination; it's a movement, and and we're we are to go out and to be a part of that movement, be witnesses to other people. What a wonderful testimony, and those testimonies are available at michigansspm.org. If you go to the resources page, you can see below the Sabbath School programs to scroll across, and there's all kinds of options for local, or at least Michigan conference testimonies of how the Lord is working and doing personal ministry work in a lot of people's lives right here at home. Now, of course, we would encourage every Sabbath for there to be testimonies from the local congregation and local individuals 
But if that's not available at your church each week, feel free to go to Michigan SSPM and find some other resources and testimonies that you can share for your Sabbath School program to help it come alive. Now, another resource we want to bring to your attention is the GROW training materials provided by the General Conference Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department. We have a good relationship, working relationship here in Michigan with the uh, General Conference Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department, and we've developed in partnership with them the GROW resources that, well, here's a sample of what you can find. Welcome to Making Disciples 101, a GROW video series on the basics of soul winning for you and your local church. Today, Mark, we're going to talk about the question, when is it the right time to introduce spiritual things? Ah, uh, yes. So you've been preparing the soil of the heart by building relationships with friendship and service, but when is that right time to start planting the seed? Yeah, the right time, the magical time, That's the right. time it's always going to work. Uh -huh. You know, this is the challenge. We know from the words of Jesus that the seed represents the Word of God. Mm -hmm. and. We don't want to come across as preachy, mm -hmm. and so, and we know you can be too forward, and when we want to build relationships first, we talked about that. So obviously it begs that question, when is the right time? And I wish there were a one right time across the board I for thought everybody. you were going to tell us. <laughs> but the reality is everybody is different. Every individual is different, and you have to risk something to sow that seed. Mm -hmm. But the problem is if people worry about failing, and it needs to be, we need to be clear on this, it's better to risk failure in saying something at the wrong time than to guarantee failure by no, never saying, saying anything. anything. At all. That's right. Notice this powerful passage from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. In other words, you're looking at circumstance saying it would be a waste of time, right? Mm -hmm. Now notice what the scripture goes on to say. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, mm -hmm. or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with the child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Mm. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Mm. So God is working on the heart. And All you the don't time. know when the circumstances will be just right. If you wait for the circumstance to be just right, yeah, you, we're, you may never share the truth. We're, we're even more than that. This passage is telling us we're a poor judge of circumstances. That's, exactly That's not right. for us. That's right. The, the important thing for us is to share the truth with every opportunity that we have. That's right. And I love the text, Isaiah 32, 20, that says, Blessed are you who sow beside all waters. Yes. So whether it's sharing your personal testimony, uh, bringing up a spiritual element into your conversation about something that happened to you in church or, or, or something that the Lord impressed you with in your morning devotions or... Um, Maybe even just sharing something over social media, something that you get that you can forward along. Right. Just little spiritual elements that begin to test the soil and, and determine whether somebody might be open to spiritual things. And one of the best ways is literature. We talk about planting the Word of God. Yes. Literature should be much more, much more widely distributed among Seventh-day Adventists. I think of the statement where Ellen White says in Testimonies, Volume 9, page 231, that our literature should be scattered like the leaves of autumn. That's mm. mass distribution. Yes. Yes, and, and something else inherent in that is sometimes we worry about what to give or what to say, mm -hmm. but we also worry about who to say it to. And when you think about the sower, he sowed 
everywhere, That's just right. like sowing beside all waters. He didn't say, well, that ground looks like good ground, but that ground looks like stony ground. I'm not going to sow there. He scattered the seed everywhere mm -hmm. and let the results be what they may. Right. It makes me think of this statement in Testimonies for the Church, volume 7, page 35. It says, in the parable of the sower, Christ gave an illustration of his own work and that of his servants, mm -hmm. you and me. The seed fell upon all kinds of soil. Some seed fell upon poor soil, yet the sower did not therefore cease his work. Hmm. He wasn't discouraged by what happened. No, he kept mm -hmm. on working. You are to sow the seeds of truth in every place. Amen. Wherever you can gain access, hold forth the word of God. Sow beside all waters. You may not at once see the result of your labors, but be not discouraged. Speak the words that Christ gives you, work in his lines, go forth everywhere as he did during his ministry on the earth. The world's redeemer had many hearers, but few followers. Mm. So we want to encourage you to not wait for that perfect opportunity, but to test the soil and see if maybe there might be someone who will take that piece of literature or respond to that spiritual element in your conversation and show an interest that maybe you didn't even know was there. And may the Lord bless your efforts and grow your church. So as you can see, we have global mission features, those mission spotlight videos available from the General Conference every week. We have hopefully good testimonies on our local congregations, and if not, some digital resources at michigansspm.org for those corporate testimonies of what the Lord's doing throughout the Michigan Conference. And for personal ministry training, you can go to grow.adventist.org and find those types of resources that you just saw, along with not just the videos, but the training guides that go with them. So whether it's as a uh, Sabbath school feature or personal ministries feature or a special training weekend or training course that your local church is doing, all of those resources are available, not to take the place of, but to help supplement and develop and enhance the ministry of the local church so that every Sabbath school can be alive and every member can be a missionary. All right, now as good as it is to hear about these exciting mission features, we can't miss the big rock in the jar of Sabbath school, which is Bible study and prayer. And That's let me right. tell you, Pastor Howard, I was particularly blessed in studying this week's lesson. There's yes, a lot indeed. in here. Yeah, this whole quarter has been just, um, it, it builds. Each lesson seems to get a little bit better. So. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Now, as we look at our lesson, I would encourage you to take out your lesson uh, quarterlies. If you have them, you can follow along with us as we study. Uh, I think this week we're actually going to be going pretty much in sequence of the days of the week, too, That's you know, right. uh, relatively at least. And we do have on the website, mm -hmm. michigansspm.org slash resources, or you just go to the landing page, michigansspm.org, and right there on our banners, I think for Sabbath School, click that. That'll take you to the resource page. And underneath the video, for this week, you will find a link to get the quarterly lesson. Mm -hmm. You can click on to get that. And also the outline that we put together to cover the lesson each week is linked right there as well. Yeah, and the reason we do an outline like this is A, to keep it you know, in the time limit that we have, but also it's a good practice, it's a good training to you know, pull out those main points of the lesson so that if you're a teacher, you can have some go-to high points to make right. sure you don't miss. Because you know? we talked about the tendency sometimes of just walking through the lesson. And in fact, this week, in, in previous lessons, uh, we've rearranged things and, you know, where the, the lesson may lay this out as a Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, we've rearranged the, the mm -hmm. flow of things because it made more sense to us. Right. And you're allowed to do that as Absolutely. a teacher. But this week, I think the flow went very well. Yes. Um, but the challenge comes in oftentimes when you try to follow that flow. And I've seen it happen. I've, we've mentioned on here, uh, you'll hear a teacher say, well, we, we got partway through Tuesday. And sometimes the, the, the richest part of the lesson may be Thursday or Friday. Yeah. 
And so if you go through ahead of time and you pull out those points, then you can be sure to get to those points within whatever time frame you have. Yeah, but before we study anything in God's Word, we have to start with a word of prayer. Amen. Pastor Howard, can you lead yes. us? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we're just so thankful for the Sabbath day. We thank you for the privilege we have of knowing you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Lord, and as we open your Word and as we open this lesson today, and we seek to gain a better understanding of your Word as the source of truth, we just pray the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, would guide our study, guide our understanding, Lord, and build our confidence in you and your word. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, the, right there in the beginning uh, uh, part of the lesson, Sabbath afternoon, uh, the first paragraph the lesson opens with it says, there is no Christian church that does not use scripture to support its beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yet the role and authority of scripture in theology is not the same in all churches. In fact, the role of scripture can vary greatly from church to church. This is an important but complex subject that we will explore by studying five different influential sources that impact our interpretation of scripture. Tradition, experience, culture, reason, and the Bible itself. And then mm. jumping down to the third paragraph, last sentence, it says the priority given to any source or sources, like tradition, experience, culture, etc., leads to very different emphases and results and will ultimately determine the direction of our entire theology. Mm -hmm. What do we use as the baseline for our right. theology? And I don't know if you have some thoughts on that. I actually <laughs> brought, <laughs> we talked about it before. Go ahead. And I actually brought a, a prop. Look at our, our, it's getting better every week. We, now we have like visual aids and all kinds of stuff. That's right. <laughs> and, and if, and in fact, if I ask the viewers what this is without even thinking, most of you are going to say a yardstick, but that is not the correct answer. <laughs> because if you look closely, this uh, actually was a promotional yard, I'm going to call it a yardstick. Yeah, it's a yardstick, right? Yeah, right? That, that uh, was from uh, our ABC in, o in Ohio, when I live in Ohio, it says we go to extra lengths to please. And it was 48 inches. And for some reason, Cameron, along the way, I needed four inches of this for a project. <laughs> and so now it's a 44 inch yardstick. Neither <laughs> of which would be a yardstick, which is 36 inches. <laughs> but if I were to ask you, as I just did, or if I were to have this sitting in my office, for example, we're here at the Michigan Conference office, and say, hey, go in my office and pick up that yardstick, without even thinking, people would grab this. Mm -hmm. Now, the point I want to make is, you could grab this and assume that this is a 36-inch yardstick, even to the point that, let's say you had uh, to cut a bunch of boards at 36 inches mm -hmm. and you didn't want to be measuring everything. You might just take a yardstick and you might put it down on a surface, a table or something, mm. and you'll mark off 36 inches. A person could very easily take this, mark off what they thought was 36 inches mm -hmm. and then ch -ch -ch inevitably cut a bunch of 44 inch boards <laughs> That's right. because their standard was wrong. Mm. And so this is the point the lesson's making is whatever we're using, if we're not using the right standard, mm -hmm. it's going to result in affecting everything else. Right. So if we add to or take away from that <laughs> standard right. of scripture, like that's a little extra long, it's going to yes. throw off everything that comes that's after exactly it. That's exactly right. Exactly. So that's the point of the first introduction. And it's a great introduction because then it goes through, like you said, tradition and culture and experience, things that um, oftentimes will change people's perspective of Scripture and their use of the Bible. Well, you know, you had mentioned, and ironically, all the way to Friday's lesson, there's a summary thought that actually goes right here with what we're saying okay. in the beginning. In the very last paragraph, uh, it says, In one sense, culture, experience, reason, and even tradition in and of themselves might not of necessity be bad 
they become problems when they contradict what Scripture teaches, but that is often to be expected. What's worse, however, listen to this, is when these things take precedence over the Word of God. Mm. So much of, hi- of the history of apostasy in both Old Testament and New Testament times is when outside influences took precedent over divine revelation. Mm. So the things that we're going to be studying this week, those influences like tradition or culture or experience, are not inherently bad. No, we're but going to see that. when they when when we start using them pitted against scripture or superseding scripture, that becomes a real problem and can lead, as the lesson pointed out, to apostasy itself. That's right, and it's fascinating that you know if people often when you think of apostasy, there are often people go to extremes in different things. Mm. In extremism. <laughs> yeah. In a strange way, in, in our generation, is following the Bible too closely. Yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> if you've noticed this too, but we, in our pre-meeting, we were talking about this a little bit, how, um, you know, if you heard a religious extremist, that means that yes. oh, they're really strict in keeping to the Bible as though strict adherence to the Bible is an extreme. Right. What, what typically, I think, what they mean by that is they might actually be going beyond what Scripture and yeah. adding things that are actually outside the That's Bible. That's right. And what we have historically is extremism is when people take a piece of the Bible and they take it away out of its context mm-hmm. and magnify it to the exemption of other things in the Bible. Right. Rather than following the Bible very closely, they're actually not letting the Bible be the exactly. primary standard, if you will, but they're allowing other things to shape that standard. Right, and then t- t- so they set that up as strict adherence to the Bible is an extreme, and therefore they'd say what we need is balance. Right. And typically what balance then becomes is, well, I mean, some faithfulness to Scripture, but don't go crazy with it. So it also right. have some of this experience. Right. Balance or cult- becomes a compromise between half of the Bible and half of culture, <laughs> exactly. or half of something else, yeah. instead of the Bible. Exactly. If we stick to the Bible itself, it is balanced and we're safe in following it. That's right. <laughs> Well, let's look at some of these things. Let's go to, uh, uh, let's talk about uh, tradition was the first one they mentioned in the lesson study. Yes. How can tradition be an issue when it comes to interpreting scripture? Well, first of all, let's just be clear. Tradition, um, the, the dictionary definition, which I jotted in our notes, is the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. There's nobody alive, nobody who's ever lived who <laughs> hasn't been affected by tradition. That's right. And we have holiday traditions. Uh, some families have a, a, a summer vacation tradition where they always go to the Grand Canyon yeah. or they always go maybe out, where they, whatever. Yeah. Um, so traditions are, we're, our lives are full of traditions. And they're enriched and they're, by it. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. There's not anything inherently wrong in a tradition. Right. But you'll feast <laughs> in the scripture sometimes they speak against tradition as though it's a problem, but they also speak in faith. So what does yes. the Bible teach us about tradition? Well, let's look at a couple passages that okay. the lesson uh, uh, brings out, maybe a couple that we've brought out. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2. Okay. And uh, these are all, uh, the three that we're going to look at real quickly are from the Apostle Paul. Um, First Corinthians 11. Yeah, verse 2. Yeah. If you want me to read, I'm already there. Yeah, go ahead. It says, I'm now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Okay. So here's a commendation from Paul yeah, about keep keeping traditions. traditions. Okay. And, and the ones he gave them. Yes, right. that he established. So he actually them. established some traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Okay. Just keep on going to the right there. Uh, past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you come to the T's. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 15, was it? Yes. Okay. And there it is again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul again, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word 
or our epistle. And then if you go just a few more verses forward to chapter 3, verse 6, again, the apostle says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. So here now, separate You're in trouble from the for people not who don't tradition. follow tradition. Right. So tradition clearly is not an inherently bad thing. No. He's recommending it. In, in fact, in he's in establishing fact, them. Yes, can <laughs> be a very good thing. Well, let's, let's look at the quintessential example of all things, which is Jesus himself. Yes. Luke chapter four. One of my one of I can't say favorite. It's just a really it's a great story. <laughs> They're in the all Bible. favorites. They're all great. Yeah. But in Luke chapter four, verse sixteen, Jesus comes back to his hometown in Nazareth, and I want right. to read this just as it is written here because. It's interestingly worded, I believe. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to emphasize that. It does not just say where he was from or his hometown. It said something that happened to him there, and that was an upbringing. He was trained. He was taught there, right? Where he had been brought up. And then immediately says, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Right. So clearly Jesus had a custom, a habit, a tradition in his own personal life right. of going to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and apparently participating in the worship service there. And it was established, according to scripture, uh, right there in Nazareth through that upbringing that his parents did. Jesus had spiritual practices, habits, customs, or traditions, if you will, that he continued into his adulthood that were a benefit and a blessing to him. Absolutely. So there's nothing inherently wrong with traditions. Right. Jesus had them. Paul even set them up. But the nothing, same scripture... Nothing inherently wrong or, and even uh, many things that are right with traditions. Exactly. But we also find warnings. That's right. And the lesson brings out the passage in Mark chapter 7. Okay. And uh, starting in the first verse, we'll, we'll turn there and read through. Um, we got, we've got a little quite a passage here. So we're going to okay. read... Uh, through verse 13. So I'm going to read through verse 6. Okay. And then if you want to pick up in verse 7, or I'll read 6 and 7. There's a quote there. And then sure. You pick up I'll in verse pick eight. up in 8. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, that being Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they had come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Mm. There's a Powerful lot in passage. there. Yeah. There is, and <laughs> we well, can't cover all of it. We can't possibly but, but cover it all. But the point is, 
Jesus highlights, um, in fact, Mark highlights, first of all, that the Pharisees and scribes came together and they had an issue yes. with the disciples of Jesus because they weren't following a tradition. And it's interesting, I want to interject here. A lot of people bring this passage up and then they say that the issue was that the Pharisees were keeping the law and Jesus right. came to show them it wasn't important. Well, it has nothing no. to do with the law. It has to do with the traditions of men. And Jesus makes that point very clear. And mm -hmm. even then, it wasn't that the, tradi the traditions in and of themselves were wrong. Right. But the problem here was something different. Well, what they were doing with that tradition was actually, and Jesus gives the example of Corbin, right? Yes. He said, what you have done with your traditions is you've made the tradition supersede the original intent of the law itself. So, yes. for instance, the great principle in the moral law of God is honor your father and your mother, yes. right? But they would say, yeah, yeah, we'll honor our parents, but I've already made a deal with God that all this money I could have helped you with in your older age, I've now given to God. Now I can right. use it until the I... The word Corbin <laughs> denotes right. something as a gift It's to a God. gift from God. I've so, placed it as yes. a gift to God, and, and so because, it has sanctified it in that right. way. I've set it apart as holy. So I can continue to use it, <laughs> but you can't use it because it'd be right. wrong to give it to you. I can't help my I've mom quote, and dad anymore it because it's... Exactly. Yeah. And what he's saying is, now go back here. It says here, verse 13, Yes. making the word of God of no effect through your tradition. That's right. So the tradition eight, is actually squelching the intent of God's word. Right. Similarly, verse 8 says, laying aside the commandment of God, you exactly. hold the tradition of men. Right. So the issue isn't even one of tradition inherently in and of itself, right. but the fact that when tradition supersedes the word of God, when tradition, and even with the washing of hands, uh, when the disciples were not following this tradition of the elders, it actually was making their religious experience burdensome. Right. And so when the traditions of man interfere with the commandments of God and the joy in keeping the commandments of God, exactly. now it becomes an issue. Exactly. So they were taking some good things and running it completely off the rails, and Christ was simply putting the law back in its place to show that it's honorable. Yes. Well, that's tradition. Yes. <laughs> we need to move on, don't we? <laughs> we do. All right. Not that there isn't more we could say about tradition. So much but more. Anyway. Yes. Uh, the next thing the lesson brings up is experience. Now, in fact, we could say more about tradition, but I think this, this point here probably is more relevant to yes. us today than just about anything else. And that is, again, these are, we're talking about things, the lesson is talking about things that shape our understanding of the Word of God and the way yes. we apply it in our life. And, and certainly our traditions uh, affect how we live. Um, and the Bible's fine with tradition, but tradition is not to take the place, in the words of Jesus, of the commandments of God or of Scripture. But I'm looking around the world, at least from my perspective and the world that I see from my viewpoint, I'm guessing that more people are shaped in their practical lives, not by the traditions handed down by some culture or family practice, but by the experience of everyday life and the, the zeitgeist of our times, right? right. The, the, the shared experience seems to be what drives most people. Well, and let's be fair a little bit with uh, the idea of experience. The Bible is a book that, that uh, invites us to experience God, yes. taste and see that the Lord is good, right? Mm -hmm. you, yeah. you think of uh, when uh, Nathaniel, Philip went and found Nathaniel and he said, can anything can good, good come out of Nazareth? And he said, come and see. You know, there's something about coming and seeing the Lord, experiencing the Lord, yes. knowing the Lord. Um, religion is not just intellectual, yes. but it's experiential. And so I think that because people oftentimes have a very, maybe a hollow experience, mm. a very intellectual experience, 
and through the course of their Christian experience, maybe they come to that understanding that, you know, for the first time they really enter into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. Um, sometimes that, I think, confuses people as to what place experience should have in the, the right. religious Right, and, and, and the, one of the troubles, if I can call it a trouble with even the Seventh Adventist Church is if it's so deeply rooted in such truth and it's so clear and, and, and we want to convey the demonstrative mm -hmm. evidential truth, right, that it can become a little dry and academic at times, yes. right? And we almost see experience as uh, opposite More spiritual. of... Exactly. Or, or we see experience as an enemy to truth. So you have to yes. choose one, either experience yes. or academic biblical truth. When the reality is the God who created us, which I have a whole little... I don't have time to go this whole talk on it, but for me... It seems you're one of the. Your best. I'm going to do my best to squeeze it here. For me, one of the clearest evidences that there is a creator, a loving creator God, is the fact that we do have the joy of experience. That's right. For example, we could, evolutionarily speaking, exist without appreciating art or a beautiful vista or, you know, diversity in tastes. But why do we have such variety in foods? Why do yes. we appreciate good humor? Like, why would that be nece necessary for our evolutionary process to get us here and survive? God didn't design us just merely to survive, but to thrive, to enjoy the experience, to live mm -hmm. life to its fullest, to have it more abundantly. So it is not in opposition to our faith to experience joy and have feelings uh, that, ex that, that God intended us to have. So there's nothing wrong, just like traditions, there's nothing inherently wrong with experience itself, but when experience sits in the driver's seat, we can run into some real concerns. Well, and let's talk about that in practical okay. terms when experience. What we're saying is sometimes people read things in the Bible that may seem, um, like you said, very intellectual or academic or even just kind of dry and, and um, mm -hmm. uh, not, not, not relational. Okay. And, and there's a tendency then that a person may have to um, s say, you know, I, I, I see what it says, but... I feel like, Ooh. you know, it, it, yeah. it, it doesn't feel right to me. Uh, I've, I've shared Bible truth with people. Perhaps mm -hmm. you share something about what the Bible says about a person's state in, man's state in death. And a person would say, uh, has said, I've had people say, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but it just doesn't feel that way to me. It, it seems to me seem that... seem right. Yeah. And it makes me think of the passage in Proverbs 14. In fact, mm -hmm. this... this uh, text is repeated twice in the Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25, but I'm reading out of Proverbs 14, 12. And the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Mm. Now, there are other scriptures that we could look at where the Bible in Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right. And then I, the Lord, test the heart. I, I try the reins. You know, these, these passages that are intended to help us to understand that our experience is faulty. Yes. It's not a good guideline because it's subjective. Yes, it is. You know, in other words, something may seem right to me and it may be, as it says in the Bible, it may end up leading to death. Yeah. And I can't imagine, I know in my life, and I can't imagine, it hasn't been the case with many of you, our viewers, who can look back at a period of time in your life where you were just certain something was right. It was a right direction, a right choice. And it then turned out to be a disaster when you went that way. Well, one of the... the, the, the ultimate example of that comes right in the very beginning of Scripture, right? Oh, yes. And, and Genesis 1 and 2, the world is created perfect, good, 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 very good, day six, right? Then you get to, you know, if the Bible stopped at Genesis 2, all would be fine. 
you know. But here we have Genesis chapter three, and, yes. and this the tempter comes to humanity to try to lead us into sin, right? And he and he picks on the woman, and of course you know the dialogue. We don't have time to go into every bit of it, but when the woman has a choice, right, between what the Word of God has said, but what now the enemy has said, right? right. She has two different options, right? right? There's don't eat the fruit or eat the fruit. Right. And how do you choose between It's going to make you die or it's going to make you like God. Exactly. And, and so he, the Bible tells us how she made that decision, right? She says here, verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3. So when the mm-hmm. woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. But notice the issue is not mm-hmm. God had said, right. don't eat. But the woman, knowing what God had said, then compared that with what she saw. She evaluated she exactly her experience. It looks good. It seems good. I've heard he's even better yeah. for you. I'm going to trust that over what the implicit word of God has told me. And, and Patriarchs and Prophets, I believe, speaks to this in a beautiful way. What was your experience like looking yes. at that and then eating? Well, the we fruit? have a great statement here from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 55, and you'll have it on the screen, describing Eve's experience. Yes. First, initially when she ate the fruit and then when she took the fruit to Adam, it says it was grateful to the taste. And as she ate, she seemed to feel a vivifying power and imagined herself entering upon a higher state of existence. In a state of strange, unnatural excitement with her hands filled with the forbidden fruit, she sought Adam's presence and related all that had occurred. In answer, she urged him to eat, repeating the words of the serpent that they should not surely die. Now notice this. She reasoned that this must be true, for she felt no evidence of God's displeasure, but on the contrary realized a delicious, exhilarating influence, thrilling every faculty with new life, such, she imagined, as inspired the heavenly messengers. So even though Hmm. God had said she was just sure it didn't matter because right. of how she felt. Exactly. And, and do you notice that line in there? And who made her feel that way? <laughs> yeah. The tempter was using He knows using how to his, play with that. You know, the Bible talks about the deception of Eve. We'll talk about that in a moment. You were going to say... Well, it's, it's just fascinating because the way that Sister White writes this, she says, speaking of Eve, she reasoned that this must be true for she felt. Yes. So her reasoning was manipulated by her feelings. She felt this way and she... Had that, that experience influenced her reasoning and decision-making, right? So she, yes. it's not that she didn't know what God had said, but she, her reason, her choice was influenced by the experience to disobey. That's right. And uh, it makes me think the lesson brings out the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, where the apostle says to the Corinthian church, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Mm. And it's interesting, when you think about the whole idea of deception, what is deception? Well, I don't know the textbook definition, but deception is being tricked. You know, okay. it's, being, it's it knowing uh, something but, but being tricked out of it. But when you're deceived, do you know you're deceived? No. No, because you wouldn't be deceived anyway. <laughs> the nature the, of deception is you don't know what's happening. The nature of deception is you think, you feel that everything, you're, you're on the right path when you're absolutely on the wrong path. And, mm-hmm. and this is, the Apostle Paul links this to this experience of Eve. Eve was deceived. What does that mean, Eve was deceived? It meant that contrary to the Word of God, she was led to feel a certain way that would make obedience seem okay. Mm. So the deception of Eve was 
well, the Bible even tells us and it the was sensory. Of anybody. Right, and the experiential led her to move away from a trust in God's well, what word. What do you, you, you go to Matthew 24, 14, or mm-hmm. 24, 24. In the last days, it says the very elect would be deceived if it were possible. Well, in the context mm-hmm. of Matthew 24, what are the things it mentions? Mm-hmm. They're going to say, oh, Jesus is out in the desert. Go see him, right? right. And there's all this sensory Mm-hmm. Things that make you feel and, and er, make everything seem like it's right. Right. So if I know Jesus is coming and his feet won't touch the ground, yet so many people are saying it, will I be deceived just like Eve? That's right. It's incredible. Now, talk to us uh, just for a second about the difference between mercy and uh, blessing. Yeah, so yeah. We, had had this, we had had this discussion a little earlier. It's something I learned early in my experience. It was, it, it, one of the things that stuck with me, just blew me away, is somebody had shared the, the idea of, of the fact that there's a difference between mercy and blessing and, and not to confuse the mercy of God with the blessing of God. For example, God is a God of great love and mercy. And even when we make poor choices, God often will intervene in mercy, not because we made a good choice, but in spite of a bad choice, he'll still preserve us Mm. or spare us from some of the consequences of those bad choices. Well, I know Christians who will call every last thing that happens... And you know well, as a well, blessing. That's, church that's Lord, it's a yeah. blessing from the Lord. So, you know, the Lord, if, if, if uh, they plan to quit their job and go do something and, mm. and they're counseled by the pastor, they're counseled by the elders, they're counseled by other good, godly, you know, this, mm. biblical the Bible says counsel, in a multitude yes. of counsel, they say, no, 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 the Lord's, I feel it, the Lord's leading me this way. And they go and it's a train wreck. And then they say, yeah, but you know, as I look at it, I could see that the Lord, you know, he, he still was, was, was teaching me through that experience, and so it was a blessing. No, mm. it really wasn't a blessing. It was the mercy of God. And, and the reason I'm saying that is, I mean, the mercy of God is a blessing in a sense. Okay, yes. don't misunderstand. But what, I, what I'm getting at is we're to learn from making poor choices in our relationship with the Lord so we don't continue to make choices contrary to His will, but we start to make choices mm-hmm. in harmony with His will. And if if we, if God, if we make a, if we discern a, God's mercy as a blessing, it may confirm us to continue making those foolish choices. Mm-hmm. Say a man goes into a bar. He's convicted he shouldn't go in there. But when he goes into the bar, in the mercy of God, because God loves a soul sitting in that bar, he, he allows a conversation to take place. And, and a man, he, that, that man who goes in the bar witnesses to another man, that man's converted. And then the man who felt the conviction of not going in in the first place, starts thinking, well, you know what? God really blessed that. Something good came out. Yeah, therefore, so, it must have been God's I will. Therefore, I need to go. It's God's will. I'm going to go in every week. I'm going to just start going to the bar right. because uh, God, that's my calling. <laughs> well, I mean, and yeah, and now, now it becomes like if something good happens, it was God's will. If I can even sift out and find one good nugget, it must have been God's will. When the right. reality is we shouldn't make our decisions based on good or bad outcome. The question should be, is it in harmony with the Word of God Absolutely. or not? Period. All right, so we've looked at the challenges of experience. We've looked at the challenges of tradition. But the lesson also brought up culture. How does culture influence our reading of the Bible? It's interesting as we look through these topics, that they're all, there's, they're interrelated, yeah. right? When we talk about culture, now I have, again, in our notes here, the definition that the dictionary gives for culture is the behaviors and beliefs characteristic of a particular social, ethnic, or age group. So, okay. you know, when you grow up in, in, if you have, there's youth culture. Sure. There's Asian culture or hip-hop culture right. or, in other words, there's a subset of, of foods you eat and, and, and songs Music you sing. Music and clothes and, and whatever. Yeah, that language. That go along yeah. with, that, that make up your culture. And once again, 
in, they're not inherently evil. Culture's not sure. inherently mm -hmm. evil. Um, the challenge when we're dealing with scripture is there's a mindset that the writers of scripture allowed the culture to influence their message to the point that it actually took the heart out of the truth of the message mm. or it at least made the message irrelevant for us today. No, they were speaking uh, to that culture or even more than that. In some cases, that counsel really wasn't from God. Mm. They just spoke that way because they were of a patriarchal That's culture. That's where they're or from they or were when from they're a, from. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, a, a, it was an Eastern mindset and it really wasn't a... It's not where we are now. And so right. that we kind of discredit it based on those kind of cultural uh, issues. Right. So in the quarterly, quarterly makes a good observation on Tuesday. Um, and I want to look at that. Tuesday's lesson says in the first paragraph, we all belong to and are part of a particular culture or cultures. We are all influenced and shaped by culture too. None of us escapes it. Goes on to say um, in the second paragraph there, while cultural factors unavoidably influence our understanding of the Bible, we should not lose sight of the fact that the Bible also transcends established cultural categories of ethnicity, empire, and social status. This is one reason why the Bible surpasses any human culture and is even capable of transforming and correcting the sinful elements that we find in every culture. And that is a phenomenal point that we can't mm -hmm. overlook. If the Bible is, as some say, culturally conditioned, how does it speak so universally to every culture? Mm -hmm. And has for thousands of years. Well, and I think that whenever we hear that phrase culturally conditioned, it's kind of a wink to, which means it's not relevant for me. Like yes. it's kind of creating yes. a loophole when the reality is both for culture and we saw this on yesterday's lesson with experience. Yes. Um, you know, the scripture is supposed to interpret experience for us, not in, not experience interpret scripture. Right. And the same thing with the Bible should f help form and shape our culture instead of saying our culture now forms my view of the Bible. While it's inevitable that I have my own experience unique from all others and that I even might come from a culture distinct from the person I'm you know, interacting with, that doesn't mean that my take on scripture is now different than your take because of my experience or culture. We should, regardless of factors like experience and culture, look at the same scripture and expect it to inform and by God's grace transform our cultural and experience so that we can have what God intends is his will. Right. Well, what we have to understand is the cultures of the world, as much as there are positives in them, are still worldly. In other mm. words, they are affected by sin. And so no culture is free from sin. Right. And if you're, if, you're, if you're completely in harmony with your culture, you're not going to be in harmony with God. This is why Jesus said, or John said rather in 1 John chapter 2, and the lesson brings us out, love not the world, mm. neither the things that are in the world. Mm. Um, he's not talking about the terra firma, right? right. He's, he's not, not against the planet. Right. <laughs> he's talking about the culture. He's talking about worldliness. And Jesus makes this point, and I'm sure John was drawing from what his master said in John 15. In John 15, Jesus said in uh, verse 18, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Now, Jesus is simply making a point here that the culture of the world 
is diametrically opposed to Christ and the principles of Christ. Again, that doesn't mean that every last little piece of what anything culture, that you grew up with is wrong. Right. That, no. It's not saying that, but it is saying, and a Christian has to recognize that the cultures, any culture of this world, is tainted by sin. Mm -hmm. And that's that passage is where we get the kind of the phraseology, you know, in the world but not of the world. That's right. Christ is not expecting us to be so aesthetic, aesthetically removed from the world in the in the sense that like. Uh, we have no contact with anything pertaining to this world. We, clearly, we're in the world, right? That's right. But we should not be of the world in the sense that we are more loyal to the world than we are to the Word of God. Well, and the challenge is cu the, the, the culture of the world has such a powerful influence because nobody likes to be out of step with everybody else. Yeah. And uh, it was George Bernard Shaw who said custom Will, recon will reconcile man to any atrocity. Mm. And you think about what think that's about that saying is yeah. when, when, when something is a part of the culture and the custom of the people, it, 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 there, it, it has a drawing power <laughs> yes. to, to be reconciled to that without even thinking. And I gave the example when we were talking about, you know, you go to, uh, I, I've given, um, when I've talked about these things in sermons before, in one case I used a slide and I took a picture of one of these guys in his, sports stadium at the football game or something <laughs> yeah. and he was painted you know he's got he doesn't have a shirt on he's painted with the sports team colors <laughs> yeah, and his yeah. face and his hair is dyed and all this stuff just looks crazy <laughs> but not in the football field yeah. like how yeah. there are certain things that we accept because that are culturally acceptable that if we even stop and thought about it we'd say no wait a minute if that same guy took him the same outfit <laughs> the right. same everything put him in a different context put him in a library downtown or in some sort you'd be like what you know that's it's right. completely oh, jarring. we were talking about the beach you go to the yeah. beach and yeah. the women walk around in these scanty little bikinis yeah. that are the equivalent of their underwear and often not less than come but on but if <laughs> you were to go two blocks away down the sidewalk and you see a woman walking up and scandalous down, it'd be awful yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the idea of culture is that the cultures of the world mm -hmm. are, are, are full of these types of behaviors that if a Christian isn't guarded, will draw them away from. So the counsel would not be to jettison all cultural influences, no. but it's to test them and to, to run them through the filter of scripture and says, first of all, is this out of harmony with God's will? Is it leading me in a direction I don't wanna go? Is it compatible with the principles of scripture? You know, one of the examples mm -hmm. I was thinking of uh, when I was studying through this lesson was, you know, right here in our, not just North America, but specifically the United States uh, territory, we have holidays throughout the year. And in the fall of the year, there's two prominent holidays that are ubiquitously recognized and followed. And that is think, uh, October, of course, you right. have the end of October, you have Halloween, and then you have Thanksgiving at the end of November. Right. So within a month's time frame, you have these two holidays that everybody's kind of observing. Very big part of our culture. Very big part of our culture, right? But as a Christian, I find so much that I can resonate with the Thanksgiving holiday. Sure. You know, family time, a good meal, and you can reflect on how and everything give thanks. This Exa says. exactly, it's a <laughs> biblical principle of giving thanks, and it's great to celebrate. However, I'd be hard pressed to find almost anything in Halloween that <laughs> is biblically right. principled. Yet our culture observes both of them equally. That's right. So as Christians, we have to say, now, do we do the same thing just as the culture, or do we reject both? When the reality is, we need to test all things and hold fast that which is good. Yes, and that's really what we're, what we're going through. What the lesson is trying to bring out is what is going to be the standard 
yes. of our conduct, of our, what's our guide? What's the foundation for our faith? Well, let's be honest. It can't be experience because our experiences change. Yeah, it's It fleeting. can't be culture because you, you, any one of these other things we've talked about has changed. It right. changes over or time. Or even if your culture is consistent, somebody else has had wholly different culture and there'd be 50,000 different cultures. That's right. right. And so there's no, there's no consistency or there's, there's no certainty. Right. And yet what we find is that biblically, I'm the Lord, I change not. There is a consistent thread and there's a mm -hmm. consistent message and it provides a baseline. That was, that's the intent of scripture. Mm -hmm. And so we're just evaluating thing, these things in the light of scripture. Uh, We've got, we've talked about uh, experience, we've talked about culture, we've talked about tradition. tradition. Yeah. And then the lesson goes on to talk about reason. Boy, this one is, this one I found a little bit, not uncomfortable, but it strikes home for me a little bit because like, well, what's wrong with reason? Reason, <laughs> are we built to be reasonable people? How can it be a problem? Well, now it's interesting because there's different, all of the, because of the interplay with these different things we're talking about, um, reason is almost the counter to experience. Interesting. Yeah. In other words, experience, oftentimes if we were to really take another word for experience, we'd say feeling. Feelings, right. That's how I feel about something. And so reason is, no, 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 don't go with your feelings. Go, go with, with your, your thinking. <laughs> um, however, they're not that opposed. Sometimes your mm. reason is affected by your feelings. And so, you know, this is, yeah. but sometimes what we're talking about, so when we talk about reason, there's a, there's a, there's a little spectrum here. Well, that we're and, talking and you're about. right. And now the hardcore, yeah. factual reason. Well, because you think about, uh, as you mentioned, experience is subjective. It's yes. relative. It's variable, right? right? But we tend to think that reason is the antithesis of that. It is factual, objective. It is, it is yes. cold, calculating. Yes. It is scientific. It is unmovable. Stainless how steel, antiseptic. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> and so it's like, how can something as clear cut and straightforward as reason be an impediment? to our understanding of scripture. Well, that's a fascinating thing, but it can actually happen. Well, and one thing, again, with each one of these, we want to affirm that none of them are inherently evil. Right. And reason of, of all things, the Bible's a reasonable book. Yes. You think of the passages, I think of Isaiah chapter one, where the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. Mm. I think of Joshua 24, where Joshua tells the people, if, you, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you shall right. serve. Well, the whole concept of choice and freedom of choice implies reason. Like yeah. the Bible, <laughs> you know, this, this is the word of God. Now he could be a real authoritarian and he could save a lot of room yeah. and you could just have, you know, the Bible is one page, right? Yeah. And it says, I am the Lord, do this yeah. or Here's die. Yeah, here's the rules, the end, yeah. <laughs> but the Bible is full of God. Re even when you come to the, the gospels and then the epistles, the apostles were constantly uh, making cases to mm -hmm. persuade the reason of people right. to follow Christ. Well, they would, give biblical, they would give biblical, basically Bible studies. They would say, this yes. scripture says this, this one says this, therefore we can know assuredly this, right? According to the scriptures. And they, they appeal right. to reason. You know, I, I've caught myself in recent years trying to stop saying phrases that are actually, you know, inconsistent <laughs> with logic. I'll, I'll say like, let's think logically. Yeah. Well, how else do you think? That's we're built for logic, and the Bible expects us. Or <laughs> think with me in your minds. Yes. <laughs> Where, <laughs> Where else, else am I going to think? You know, we're built with brains and minds. We're built with logical processing. And the implication is, think. Let's the, think logically. So I guess normally the way right. you think is not. <laughs> well, let except, me be on, let me be honest with you. What exactly, let me one? be. Oh, I hate that one. Yeah. <laughs> let me. I want to be honest with you real quick. It's like, have you been lying up <laughs> right. to this point? But when people come to church. 
or they come to a spiritual anything, oftentimes it's like, oh, out in the world, you know, if it was accounting, it needs to, you know, add up to zero. If it's science, it's got to, but it's religion. So it can just be a nice painting. It can be an evocative piece of music. It can be a story that appeals to the emotion and just whatever carries me along. It doesn't even have to make sense. In fact, it's religion. I'm not expecting it to make sense. Exactly. We don't need to think here. When the Bible specifically says, give a reason for the faith. Come let us reason together. And so the, the God that created us built us with these mechanisms and expects us to use them. And he relates to us through those faculties. So clearly reason is not in opposition with our faith. Right. Well, the lesson brings out a passage in 2 Corinthians 10 that I'd like to look at. Okay. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 5 and 6. Uh, and, and we're in the middle of a, of a thought here. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 5. Let's start in verse 4. The apostle says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And notice, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, mm. the, the idea that the authors of the lesson conveyed, and I think that the passage conveys here, is that, um, well, let's just make the point this way. Even our reason, let's not fool ourselves and think that our reason is flawless. Even Mm. our reason has been affected by sin. First of all, you've already brought it up. Reason, science, knowledge is based on what we observe. Mm -hmm. Well, let's think of the things we can observe now that we didn't used to with telescopes and with microscopes. The observable universe to us at one point in time was far more limited than it is now. Mm -hmm. Well, how limited is it now? I mean, what's to say that there's not... So we're always limited just because of our humanity, let alone because of sin. And what this is telling us, the apostle telling us here is, because of sin, our reason is affected, and even Mm -hmm. our thoughts need to be subjected to Christ. Yeah, we are in a bit of a... um Like, for instance, even Adam before the fall was limited by the nature of his existence. He was a finite created being. His mind was not as expansive as God's, nor ever could be, right? So, you know, we've talked about this in previous lessons. Like, sometimes it bugs people. I don't see how God could... Well, just because you don't (laughs) understand how doesn't mean it's not true. I I, I take comfort in the fact that there are things in here that are bigger than my mind can comprehend. Praise the (laughs) Lord, I'm not the top of the (laughs) heap, right? right? So even without sin entering the picture, we're at a disadvantage because of our mortality. We are finite human beings. But then you add sin in the mix, 6,000 years of sin, hereditary and cultivated, passed on. We have just a very limit, our reasoning powers are limited and we're in the presence of and in the universe of a limitless God. Well, there's a, I, I'm, several things are going through my mind here. You talk, I mean, to, to think, to put our, a man's reason as the foundation yeah. for, what a scary idea. In other <laughs> words, when, when God moved on the writers of the Bible, we call them prophets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They were messengers from God and God gave them messages. And in the Old Testament times, prophets were called seers mm. because the seer would see things from God's perspective that man couldn't see. That was the whole idea of it. In other words, God sent a message to us because we wouldn't see it otherwise, mm. right? 
And so you think of the, the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation who thinks Oof. that it's rich and increased in goods and in need of nothing. And the Lord says, you don't have half a clue. You're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, I see your condition. You don't see right. it. Jesus the issue with Laodicea is, yes. is not that they're blind. The bigger issue is they don't even see that they're blind. That's right. right. And, and Jesus pictures himself in Revelation as the one who walks among the lampstands, those churches. In other words, he sees things. He's got flame, eyes with flame of fire. In other words, God sees what we don't see. Mm. So to take our reason and say, no, 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 thanks, God. I, I think I'm going to take what I see and make right. that the basis for everything is ridiculous. So the reasonable <laughs> deduction from what we've discussed here <laughs> right. is that there should be things beyond our reason. It's reasonable to expect what we would perceive as unreasonable because it's bigger than us. It's smarter than us. It's holier than us. I was reminded in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 624, Ellen White makes this statement. She says, as error is most in accordance with the natural heart. It is taken for granted to be clear. Mm. In other words, error makes more sense to a sinful being. Yes, it does. And, and, and we can say, oh, I gave my heart to the Lord and I was converted, but conversion is not a one-time process in humanity. It is mm. a daily growing that continues to the, to the time that Jesus comes. And so keeping that in mind, there are always, there's always a need for my thoughts, as Paul said, to be subjected to the obedience of Christ. Yes. And my error is always going to appeal to one part of my nature and just seem as plain as day like, well, that, ought, that, that sounds more reasonable to me. Right. Of course it sounds more reasonable to you. You like that. You know, <laughs> right. this reminds me of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, right? Yes. N Nicodemus is trying to reason out and kind of, and Jesus just cuts the heart and says, you Not need to be born again. Not an uneducated man, by Yo, the way. Yo, a very, very leader, <laughs> a religious leader of his time. And, but Jesus cuts straight to the quick and says, you need to be yeah. born again. And he's like, I don't understand. How can that? And he's trying to, you know, and Jesus lays it out. This you find this in verse uh, 19 of John chapter 3. Yes. He says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He goes on to explain, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Clearly, it, if it cuts across my natural inclination and my habits, my tendencies, then whatever matches with those bad practices is going to seem the most reasonable. Right. <laughs> when the reality is maybe I'm just off, maybe I'm wrong, and he's right. That's right. And yeah. that's why we move into our last section here. We're really, um, uh, well, we've looked at, uh, again, tradition. We've looked at experience. We've looked at culture. We've looked at reason. But the only safe guide, and this is what the scripture teaches, is the scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says to the law and to the testimony. This is a phrase denoting the scripture. It says, mm -hmm. if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Mm. And I think the context of this is fascinating because in verse 19, the Bible says, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God, should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? Here he's speaking specifically to those who are conjuring up the dead. They're spiritists. They've got this connection with the supernatural and they've got supernatural evidences mm. that, that not just feelings, yeah. but even display. Yes. And the Lord says to the law and to the testimony, if they don't speak according to what is written. Mm. Not you know, that there's a little bit of light. There is no, no. light in them. You know, it reminds me of uh, when 
in the, in the New Testament, when, the, when Paul would speak about the deceptive power of Satan, he would talk about how he would transform himself into an angel of light. He would look and sound, you know, very appealing, very convincing. In fact, to the church in Galatia, we had this in our notes too, Galatians chapter 1, I'll read verses 6 through 8 here, and he mm-hmm. says, I marvel you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Right? So he's like, I've laid out the gospel, built it on good scripture That's foundation, right. which he says in verse 7, is not another, as though there were options, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, and he puts himself in there, not, right. just, not just somebody, but even I, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. <laughs> so he's, yeah, let that sink in. Yeah, I think what he's saying is like, you heard the message preached, a biblical-based He doesn't present say an angel message. from hell. No, he didn't. He's like, <laughs> I mean, so what if there was a supernatural experience? What if an right. angel were coming and to speak to you? And he knows an angel of God wouldn't do that. Right. So what he's making the point of is there's the potential that a demonic spirit could play himself off as an angel. How do you know the difference? It's not yes. how you feel. Well, and I don't know about you, Pastor Howard, but I have had in my own experience, more than I want to recount here, times where people have said, oh, I know what the Bible says, but you don't understand. I have seen, or the Holy Spirit, and Mm -hmm. they'll invoke the name of the Holy Spirit for an inclination or a conviction or some sort of idea that says, but I want to do this. And it seems to be that the Spirit of God is now in contradiction to the Word of God. Right. And is that, is that really a possibility? <laughs> but I've seen it so many times where people are confused, like, well, it, the Bible can't mean this because the Holy Spirit moved me to think this way. Right. Well, we, had a, we have a statement here in our notes, Great Controversies Introduction uh, mm. by Ellen White, uh, page 7 in the introduction, paragraph 2. And she says, Since it was the Spirit of God that inspired the Bible, it is impossible that the teaching of the Spirit should ever be contrary to that of the Word. Amen. Well, that's just straightforward. I mean, Common you, sense. Yeah. Like, why would the Holy Spirit, you know, I know what the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit impressed me. He did what? Yeah. You know, the Holy Spirit is what, there's the one who moved through the Scriptures and, and, and inspired the writing of the Scriptures. Right. Why is he coming with a different message? He wouldn't. And that's right. why Paul, he, he can say with confidence, look, even if something that appears to all your senses to be an angel from heaven tells you something different, then let him be cursed of God because it's never going to be different from what I've preached to you and now what's written in the Word. Mercy. So that really does wrap up because we've got experience, we've got tradition, we've got culture, and even, how do I say this right, but spiritual things, or supposedly, they can be right. angelic-seeming, divinely you know, appealing to our senses. Some, right. But does that mean that it's really in opposition to God's Word? Well, you know, we talked about the importance of the reality is the importance of a standard. Mm. If your measurements are off, everything is off. Can you imagine trying to build a building like this or mm-hmm. anything and you don't have the right standard to go so by? True. And we're not talking about a building that's going to be destroyed at the coming of the Lord. We're talking about characters that mm. may or may not be fit for eternity depending on how we receive the Word of God as a standard for our lives. You know, Jesus talked about this. Let's go to John in the Gospel of John there where uh, chapter 5 Jesus was confronted oftentimes with people who would want to challenge his faith and his understanding Mm -hmm. of Scripture. Uh, John chapter 5, let's go to verses 45 and onward there. Yes. Uh, Why don't I read that and maybe you can comment on that a little bit. John chapter 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I shall accuse you, these people who are trying to corner him, right, and test him. 
Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Yeah, what a fascinating passage. And I was going to say, you know, Moses refers to the, the author of the, the Torah, what have you. But Jesus draws that right out. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Mm. Jesus establishes scripture here as a standard to test everything by. Mm. And he said, if you're not going to, there are people today who say, oh no, I don't know about the Bible. I'm not sure that I can have confidence in the Bible, but I believe in Jesus. But Jesus <laughs> says here, if you won't believe the writings of scripture, how you can won't. you believe my words? Wow. It's, it's, it, it, you're, you're, you're fooling yourself. Fascinating. You know, and that's the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, gives this warning yes. about our understanding or our variance from a plain, thus saith the Lord, and reliance mm -hmm. on his word. Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, uh, the warning is given, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And there you have two cautions. Don't add to scripture things that aren't right. there, like the traditions, right? Build on top of it and make right. that a test. Nor should you take away from it and make experience or culture or some other thing predominant over trusted. It needs to be all of Scripture, no more, no less. Right. Just trust in the Word of God and let that be your guide. That's right. So while tradition has its place, mm -hmm. and while experience has its place, and while culture has its place, while reason has its place, none of them can serve effectually as the foundation of our faith, the source of truth. Mm. that is left to Scripture. And incidentally, that was God's design. It's not my design. It's not our design. It's not our church's design. God is the one who moved through the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. There's a great statement in the book Desire of Ages, page 671, that says through the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit speaks to the mind and impresses truth upon the heart. Thus, he exposes error and expels it from the soul. Thus, in this way, through the scriptures. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for the scriptures, how would the Holy Spirit be able to reveal error? He can't just do it on a feeling because the devil can work through feelings. And how do I know mm -hmm. which feeling is from who? But he who? brings you to the scripture. From scripture. Yeah. He exposes scripture and expels it from the soul. It is by the spirit of truth, working through the word of God, that Christ subdues his chosen people to himself. Oh. Friends, we've come to the end of our time for this week's lesson, but what a rich study it has been indeed. I appreciate, Pastor Howard, your leading in this and for our lessons who have put this together, but it's really the Word of God that is our authority, not mm. our culture, not our experience, even our teaching. It is what the Bible itself teaches. So it is my prayer that this week we will continue to be enjoying experience and uh, part of our culture and all those different reasoning capabilities, but let all of that be controlled by that holy influence of the Word of God as our only trustworthy standard, our rule for life and teaching. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for those things like tradition and culture and experience and reason. Thank you for giving us those faculties and capabilities, but Lord, help us never for a moment to take those things as superseding the revealed will of God as written in the Word of God. Lord, help each one of us to be solid Christians, Bible-believing Christians, built upon that foundation of Scripture. Help us to have the trust that Jesus has that we can turn to, and it is written for every question in our lives. And Lord, give us that 
steadfast faith that will stay true to you until we see you come again. For we pray it in Jesus' name. 